KPK Outdoor Show. I'm Bob Sims every Saturday from 5 to 8 right here on KFBK, 1530 AM and 93.1 FM. Well, just like we have the last couple of years, we get into this winter kokanee fishing. Now, winter kokanee fishing, um, one of the successful methods is to troll right near the surface, which kokanee fishermen never do in the summer months. And uh, that works in some lakes. It doesn't work in other lakes. It, sometimes it works in both ways, works in some lakes, deep and shallow. And Rob Reimers has been fishing Bullard's Bar, and he, he prefers the deep end because they seem to catch more fish. But he joins us now to tell us some details. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. So, uh, you know, we, we've talked before, the fish at Buller's Bar are smaller than they were last year at this time. Most certainly yeah. because the Department of Fish and Wildlife tend to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. They'll overplant it again to make sure those fish stay small. But in the meantime, they're still fun to catch. They're great table fare. What are you doing to catch them? Oh, well, we're using the old Brad's cut plugs, you know, uh, same thing yeah. we always do. Yeah. But uh, they seem to be a little bit deeper this week. We were getting them. Um, I took Stacy out again, and she did another little video. Um, we were getting about 35 to 45 feet. That seemed to be the best depth. Uh, I talked to a guy that was running a planer board up by the surface, and he only got one fish all day on his planer board. So. Yeah. Uh, deeper seemed to be, you know, the thing to do. Uh, I talked to a few people during the week. They were telling me 25 feet, but they just weren't that shallow. Well, you know, I guess, you know, you've said before, one of the important things this time of year at Bullard's Bar, uh, you got to go find the fish. So maybe there's fish at different depths. Who knows? Every leg's different, right? Yeah, well, we tried some different depths, uh, you know, we were marking quite a few fish at 50 feet, uh, although I didn't go down to them because we were catching just enough fish that it's kind of like, you know, there's no point in leaving the depth that we were at, you know, to, to go searching for some more fish because uh, the fishing was kind of steady all day, you know, going off, on and off, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Now, um, last year at Orville, um, you used... You use the same kind of flasher that you do for the river salmon down in Sacramento. And, in fact, the same kind of flasher they use out in the ocean. Uh, well, very popular is the Pro Troll flasher, the 11-inch flasher out in the open. You, try, you, you catch fish in the ocean, in the river. You tried it at Orville, and you did catch a couple big salmon, but you dropped down to the 8-inch flasher. Have you done that for kokanee, too? Yeah, we tried that uh, for the first time. You know, it may have been the first time anybody's ever done it because I've never seen anybody do it, never heard of anybody doing it. But I tried it up there at Bullard's. And I, what I did ahead of time is I bought a couple of flashers that, you know, to me, that kind of reminded me of the Kokanee. We put those on and I put them down and they, uh, they weren't out there just a couple of minutes, it seemed like, and we, we got a fish on one, and then we could catch a fish on the other. So they were they were hammering that pretty good. So I think that's probably the the way to go in the future. Uh, it's kind of surprising because when I first started kokanee fishing, there was a lot of older guys saying, oh, you can't use rotator lures. 
you know, rotator stuff. They don't like it, but man, I tell you, the Brad's cut plugs have kind of made a liar out of them there. And then these flashers, <laughs> these flashers may be the thing of the future because they were. What? And you can go on her video and and watch us using them if you want. John Stacy goes outside, but um, you know, it it's was, on you uh, on you. Is it on YouTube? Yeah, it's on YouTube, or you can go to my Facebook page, and I got a couple uh, posts on there where there's a link right there. You can just tap on that, and it'll take you right to the video. Rustic so, Rob's, uh, Rustic Rob's Facebook. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Rustic Rob's guy service. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, so let's explain, Rob, uh, because a lot of people, and, and this has been going on for years. Uh, first of all, the nickname for these flashers are three sixties. That's not the, the name of it, but it's a nickname because rather than go back and forth like a regular Dodger, and these are a Dodger-shaped lure, so don't be confused. Flashers with the, the inline blades is not what we're talking about. In the ocean, they call these Dodgers flashers, okay? <laughs> well, in, yeah, yeah. in freshwater, exactly. we call flashers with the blades that, that revolve. So. Anyway, uh, but this goes in a, in a 360 degree circle, and that's the key to the action on the whole thing. And uh, yeah, and whatever. I think uh, I, I think uh, with a 360 action, you're throwing flash out in 360 degree areas, and it flashes at different points, so it looks like several kokanee down there after something. So they'll come around to investigate it, and uh, that's that's the key to it right there. Yeah, that's pretty interesting how, how that all works. Um, you know, I've been trying to get the, the the landlocked salmon in Shasta for years to hit those great, I use those great big hotspot dodgers up there uh, that we used in the ocean. And I did catch a couple of nice salmon, but they were few and far between, so it makes me feel good. You you, you took it down to the 8-inch and, and found the uh, the magic combination there. Yeah, well, you know, when we had the Brad guys down here last spring, uh, Chris Turvey up there, he brought down some 11-inch blades, and he wanted to try them and this and that. So I said, yeah, go ahead. And we didn't catch anything on them. But, you know, I could see the wisdom in them, so I went home and I started thinking, you know, maybe it's just too much blade for the lake. So I w bought some 8-inchers and went out there and used them, and they were working pretty good. So I just thought, you know, what the heck, man, let's try them over here in Bullards and see what they do on the Kokanee. And uh, they were working surprisingly well. You know, we yeah. got – I don't think we caught any fish on the other rods once we put them on. We were just catching them all on those. So <clears throat> they must That's, be working that, well. Well, that's saying a lot, and we'll see as as the season moves on if they maintain their effectiveness. Because, we, you know, we almost need to get a full season behind us to to make a decision there, right? Yeah, you know, one day, one day it was really good, but you know, that doesn't say a lot. You know, you gotta you gotta do it a few times to prove it. Yeah. Hey, are, are the uh, with with the cut plug? You're using the small kokanee size cut plug, I assume. Uh, is, is color making a difference? Yeah, you know, uh, pink always works good at Bullard's. So I've been yeah. using the hot pink lure and the Lady M lure. You can really you buy any cut plug that's got pink on it, and it'll work up there. So okay. there there's several of them. Okay, and, and you're putting corn on it, of course. Of course, yeah, you'll see all that in that video. Um, put corn on both hooks and... Is is there any uh, is is there uh, 
are you leaning toward particular scents on the corn, or do you think it makes a difference right now? I don't. I don't use any scent on my corn because you know the guy that originally started using that particular, you know, shoe peg corn. You know, I think uh, it smells a lot like the plankton's uh, fish are after. So I, I never put any scent on my corn. I put scent yeah. on the um, tuna that we put inside the little hatch. Yeah, but not yeah. on the corn. That's interesting. That's interesting. Okay, Rob. Well, <clears throat> so so would you say uh, somebody that really doesn't know the lake like you, but if they spent a day up there searching for for fish 25 to 45 feet, they got a chance to get a 10-fish limit? Yeah, exactly. Uh, we got most of our fish right in that area, kind of that intersection area where you got the dam coming in from the dam and coming in from Yuba and going out towards Dark Day, that area that's kind of a intersection in there. That's where we got most of our fish. Okay, okay, where everything comes together. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Rob. Have a good week out there. We'll talk to you next Saturday. All right. Bye. Rob Reimer's Rustic Rob's guide service and for that video see him on facebook here's his number 530-632-0051 after the break mr scott laseth of a sporting chef him Sacramento area or Alabama, but Scott Laseth joins us now. Good morning. Good morning from Eden, Utah. Temperature six degrees. So if you think it's cold there, it's colder here. <laughs> it sounds like. <laughs> what are you doing there? However, uh, well, I'm. Uh, my friend and I are taking the wives on a ski trip. Um, he and I don't ski, so. It's not as easy to find a bar here in Utah as it is in, over in California, but um, it never is, COVID or not. Yeah. And you know they get our weather, so they don't have a whole lot of snow here. But at the, their uh, the wives are skiing at Snow Basin and Powder Mountain, which are incredible. They love it. Long yeah. runs, um, pretty weather, and all that kind of good stuff. But um, just a little cold. Yeah. So that said, you're back there just to go skiing, huh? Yep, just for a few days on the way home today. It's all over now. Back to work. Yeah. Um, but I have a recipe. Do you? Are you a coffee drinker? You bet. Because you know, I didn't drink coffee for a long time. Um, I don't. I mean, I didn't. You know, I think in my 30s I started drinking coffee. But yeah, it works really good if you take some ground coffee and you mix it with your rub on the sportingchef.com website. This one's here. There's a coffee rubbed goose breast. And I know huh. there's a few geese being shot right now, too. So, And you can take leftover grounds or fresh grounds. It's got the rub. It's got some ground coffee, brown sugar, a little Italian seasoning, kosher salt, onion powder, garlic powder, cayenne pepper, paprika. Did you write that down? Good. <laughs> Go to the website. Okay. So we're making a rub. Or if you just want to take your basic, whatever your favorite rub is, and put a little brown sugar and coffee in there. And the brown sugar, what's good about that, when you put it in the rub, it liquefies the rest of the rub and helps it penetrate, but of course it's only going to penetrate so far anyway. Yeah. Um, after I put the rub on it, I like to wrap it in plastic wrap, 
stick it in the refrigerator for a few hours, um, slap it into a, a hot skillet with a little bit of oil, and then I throw a whole bunch of onions on there, too, thick sliced onions. Um, when the goose breast is just about done, I take it out um, and then pour in um, some a cup of strong coffee, strong brewed coffee. Let that cook down. And this is almost going to be like a red-eye gravy type of thing. Uh-huh. Um, and then, and then uh, whisk in some chilled butter, and that's going to make that coffee. It's going to take some of the edge off coffee. It's going to make it nice and creamy. Throw that goose back in there just to warm it up a little bit. Slice it over. Pile those onions on top, and then drizzle that coffee butter sauce on the top of that. It's really good. If you don't like coffee, you probably won't like that. But if you're a coffee drinker, it's one of but, my favorites. But, but I mean, it's not going to taste like coffee. But is is it just like a hint of coffee? It it is just a hint <clears> of coffee, and it gives it kind of an earthy taste to it. Also, it's um. It's more obviously more of a savory flavor than it would be kind yeah. of spicy or any of that. It's it's yeah, you can put as much coffee in it as you want, but really you don't. It doesn't scream coffee at you. Okay, that sounds pretty good. We we Did used you like your uh, yeah, I used your recipe uh, on the um, the uh, the elk. It's not a stew. It's kind of a soup stew type thing. That turned uh, out was it any fabulous. Good? Yeah, it was good. Oh, good. Good. I, I should uh, maybe make a on comment to... on it. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Ted Meats on today on Outdoor <laughs> Channel. Sporting Chef is back tomorrow on Sportsman Channel. And uh, I guess that's it. Okay. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Scott. All right. Thanks, Bob. Yep. Bye. Scott Liz at sportingchef.com. Okay. Okay, well, we were wondering how the steelhead fishing was going to be on the Trinity River. And because uh, uh, the water did come up a little bit, we had our hopes up and everything. So last night I talked to Butch Chapman, who has the Junction City store, about what happened. Butch, the Trinity River had been running low, very low, and very clear. And that really makes conditions tough. But you got a little rain. Uh, how much did the river come up down in the Junction City area? Um, it came up from, uh, I think it was probably around, it was running about 380 to something. And it came up briefly to just just about four. And then it's it's dropped back down to below the 400 range right now. And it's it's running clear, really clear. Yeah. So it didn't, rain the, enough, it didn't rain enough to cloud anything up. So not the rain we needed. We needed a, a serious rain with you know to get the water river up and flush it out and get it muddy a little bit. And get those fish on the move, huh? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Now during these conditions, um, I I know even the guides get a little frustrated with it because you know you you locate a bunch of fish. Uh, that are just hanging out, and then a lot of people are pounding on them, which makes them that much tougher to catch. But uh, if you do locate some fish, what kind of techniques do you have to use uh, hoping to catch one? Well, it just depends. Um, I'm a bank fisherman mainly, so I use light tackle. I get down to six pound uh, on my reel. I'll go a four-pound leader with um, a number six hook, and it's really... Um, small piece of row, a good colored red row works uh-huh. works well. 
and um, if you get that in with in with the fish, whether where they're out of small weight, just you know you you got to downsize everything because they're at this point with the Trinity River being so popular with drift boats, um, they're they're pretty spooky. So if yeah. if uh, you can find a spot where they're there, um, for example, a week and a half ago. It had rained. The river came up. I went down um, below Pigeon Point on 299, a little hike off the bank, stood on one rock. I hooked seven steelhead and landed six. <laughs> and then I, went back the next, then I went back the next morning, I hooked one, and then that afternoon I hooked two, and I've been back to that exact same spot probably four times, and I haven't touched a fish in there. So you just get lucky and find them. Steelhead fishing is timing. You hit that right on the head, uh um, and then, you know, they, they move up, and then you got to go find them again. And let's face it, the Trinity River has got an awful lot of good-looking water, so that's not always easy to do. Let me ask you one thing, Butch. Uh, usually with any kind of a rain, Canyon Creek kind of muddies up. Did that muddy up at all? No. there We never got any, any color on Canyon Creek. Um, when I did hook those fish... Um, the North Fork of the Trinity, it, it threw some color into the river, so that's, that that helped because there was a little bit of a um, tinge to it, so you know your 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 line wasn't so visible to, to the fish, so that that helped out. Kept hooking those seven that one morning. But in the meantime, we still need a heavier rain than what we just got. Yeah, I you know it's 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 going to take uh, you know a couple solid couple days of rain to get East Weaver Creek flowing, get get you know get the lake muddied up and just get things stirred up. But, you know, like right now, most of the guides that I've been shuttling with my shuttle business, have, they've all went to the coast. So they're all fishing the Eel River, um, the north of Fork of the Eel River, the, the Matol, Mad Smith, you know, all those over there. That's Butch Chapman, the Junction City store. By the way, uh, Butch bought a whole lot of stuff from Tim Brady when T- Tim Brady finally closed his store. So he is well-equipped for the steelhead fishermen. They're open every day, and he does provide shuttles for you for like 40 bucks in the local area. If you have to go a little further, it's 50 bucks. So here's his number, 530-623-2800. After the break, we'll try to find some striped bass. Don't go away. 3.1 KFBK. To uh, exist in far fewer numbers than we're used to this time of year. Um, Hard to say what's going on. I'm, I've run out of uh, guesses. Let's see if uh, Clyde Wands, the old timer, has got any info. Good morning, Clyde. I have a little info, Bob. Not a lot, but a little bit. A little bit uh, is good at this stage. I, well, I heard about a few uh, places. They were picking up a few fish, so I thought I'd run some down. The best has been the deep water channel. And uh, the, the Sacramento Deepwater Channel, Sacramento Deepwater Channel. OK, OK. So I picked up some minnows and I was going to drift minnows up there. And I thought, well, I'm going to try above the Rio Vista Bridge first. I heard about a bite in there and nothing there. And I just started to go up the Deepwater Channel. And here comes a big ship up. So, you know, that's going to wipe it out. Yeah. 
for a while, so I thought where I'd go, and uh, I heard about a, a bike clear over in Connection Slough, so I headed that way. I uh, stopped at False River in the way, tried that, a couple other places, and went into a little Connection Slough and never marked a fish. That is uh, quite a I, trip from the Sacramento Deepwater Channel to I the north down miles. to Connection Slough. <laughs> I was Boy. looking for fish. And, yeah. But my mistake was <clears throat> on the way back, I thought about trying outside of Decker. I didn't do it. And I pulled a zero. I didn't even mark but one fish that I could say was a fish all morning. Uh, went back, to putting the boat in the trailer, and a couple guys come in. They've been fishing some shad outside of Decker, and they caught some nice fish, probably four or five pounds. Wow. And then uh, I got a, uh, another friend was, uh, well, I got a picture late yesterday uh, a couple other guys fishing minnows outside of Decker, and they caught some. They sent me the picture. They looked to be about five or six pounds. But I pulled a complete skunk. I uh, I looked all the places I heard about these bites yeah. and everything, even where I caught fish last week. Not a fish in there. And there's yeah. been a lot of uh, small fish. I guess I told you I caught a bunch of small fish last week. You know, non non-keepers and just pulled two keepers out of the bunch. But if you look around, I think a few more fish are showing. And I heard a bite uh, on further south. I didn't have time to make it. I was going to run clear down to uh, Bullfrog. But, you know, that was still a long ways. Sure. I think just looking around, they're not, these were probably local fish that these guys caught. I'm not sure. I, you know, I couldn't tell from the pictures. Yeah. But, uh, well, I, I heard something, Clyde, that uh, might be encouraging is that uh, for the last couple of weeks, and they've kind of been keeping a little quiet, <clears throat> bait fishermen down in Sassoon Bay are catching stripers, mostly in deeper water. And, you know, we don't like that deep water stuff because it's not as much fun, but they've been catching a few. I mean, these are fish in that, you know, 8 to 12 pound range, which are almost non-existent in the Delta. And then there's a few fish in the extreme lower portions of the Napa River also on bait. And that's it from what I've heard. I've heard the same thing, Bob. I heard about Sassoon Bay. And uh, about two, three weeks ago, some friends went in there, and they caught uh, not all of them keepers, but spooning. They caught about 50 uh, fish. Yeah. And I kept waiting for them to come up. I said, these, these fish are going to move up. So there's still fish in the bay. Well, we still so, haven't had any water push, so that's we've got to get that before we get anything else, I think. That's right. Uh, we, <laughs> we need that water. I'm going to change pace next week a little bit. I'm going to do a little more sturgeon fishing. And uh, There you go. See what happens hey. there. Yeah. But, and here again, we're waiting for a push of water to get a bunch of those headed upriver, too. Yeah, I think they might be headed up a little bit. Uh, I come, when I come down and going back, I've got to buy Merritt's Landing. I don't think yeah. those people would be there if the sturgeon weren't. And there, there's quite a few fishermen around yeah. Merritt's Landing now. Yeah, uh, that's so, uh, a good sturgeon spot. Now you can you can tell what's going on by the people that fish there. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, okay. I keep my eyes open trying to find out where to go and the reports sure. and everything, but there's going to be some fish show up. 
Yeah. But, uh, I like your optimism, Clyde. I like your optimism. So, okay. <laughs> well, we got to keep trying. So, yeah. we'll see what happens. We'll see what next week brings. Thanks, Clyde. Okay, Bob. Okay. Clyde Wands, the old timer. I talked to Andy Gibord over at Keeney's Fly Shop. Uh, you know, when the America, Upper American River opened for Steelhead on the first, it, the first day. Was wasn't bad. I mean, a couple of good fishermen caught fish, and uh, you know, with the pressure and everything, it's hard to do. But in this interview you're about to to hear with Andy, you're going to hear about how important it is to get in the right spot first. I talked to him late yesterday afternoon. Andy, we got a report last week on the opener of Steelhead in the American. Definitely some fish being caught. Uh, mm -hmm. And, boy, I sure haven't heard too much since then. Why don't you recap for us? Well, yeah, I would say on the first day, the, the first people who got to go down the river, you know, they did pretty good. I, I know one of our guides hooked uh, 10 fish, didn't land all of them. And then... The second day, he got like two or three, and then the third day, they just dropped off. And since then, I mean, there's fish being caught, but it, it really just kind of tanked. So there's no evidence of any new fish in the river? I haven't been seeing it. I mean, I'm certain there are some fish trickling through, you know, at that time of the year. But um, yeah. my, myself and friends of mine are fishing the mid to lower river, which we like to do just to try and get away from everyone. We're not having much action, more or less maybe a half pounder here and there, um, but not hearing much anything of, of those nice big eel river fish. You know, it's yeah. I know why you're fishing the middle river, keep away from the crowds and the yeah, spook fish, but, you know, it just shows you how hard it is. Those fish coming up aren't going to dilly-dally. They're, they're really... They kind of uh -huh. beat beat it up to the upper river, I know, and mm -hmm. it yeah. sure is hard hard to intercept them, isn't it? It is, but if you don't try, you never get the touchdown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't okay. try to field the pass, you're in trouble. Yeah. You're not going to ever. Tell me, uh, on the first couple of days, what did you hear the fish were being caught on? Um. Mostly they were caught on eggs and then just a combination of nymphs, uh, stuff like uh, uh, psycho princes, uh, uh, gummy worms, <laughs> quite a variety of yeah. things concerning the nymphs. But uh, definitely, you know, that they, they were taking eggs. But that's, you know, I, I'm not surprised because all through – you know, November, I fished it hard, and a lot of my friends have, and we just weren't, uh, and even into December, and we just weren't hooking or hearing much. So uh, I wasn't surprised that most of the fish that I saw pictures of, you know, you could tell they'd been in the system for a while. And, yeah. But all that means is whatever run we're going to have, it really hasn't happened yet, and so stay tuned. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, and yeah. if you go out fishing without hearing anything, you could be the first to intercept the first big school that comes in since the first. 
Absolutely. I, I always tell my friends and customers who come in here, I said, you want to be the one giving the good report, not getting it. <laughs> That's Andy Giebord of Kinney's Fly Shop. Number for Andy, uh, 483-1222. That's in the 916 area code again, 483-1222. He'll fill you in on what's being used and everything. And he's also uh, guides the river. He has for a long time. You've got a drift boat, you've got a jet boat, so whatever the situations call for. But, you know, the steelhead fishing, um, you know, when we hear about it, it's never really good. And the reason it's never really good is because you have a combination of guides and bank fishermen, and not all of them catch fish. If it was really good, everybody would be catching fish. That just doesn't work that way with steelhead fishermen. Now, you go on the Smith River, the Chetco River, things like that. You go into a boat, and you get a good, rin, uh, good run, and there's two people fishing in a boat, the better days, each person will get a fish. That's not bad steelhead fishing. But then you throw in all the bank fishermen along a river, it's a little tougher deal, and so the average drops. So it's never really good. But don't let that discourage you from going to someplace local like the American River and giving it a try because this is the time of year, and like Andy said, there's always going to be a few bright, fresh fish moving up. That happens clear into the month of April in the American River. Maybe not in big numbers then, but we still are due for a push of fish. You might as well be out there in case they come through or in case you can intercept a striker. You get a five to seven pound steelhead, you are going to feel so good about it. just incredible. So don't don't hesitate going. Okay, after the break, you're going to hear... A trip that doesn't sound like a December trip for black bass. But Don Paganelli, every year, goes with some friends over to Clear Lake, and they fish with jumbo minnows. Wait until you hear about the day they had. Radio app. week when Don Paganelli was on the air, before he got off the air, the people in his boat over Clear Lake fishing with jumbo minnows landed a five-pound largemouth, which he texted me within seconds after he got off the air. Well, that was only the beginning. He joins us now to tell us the rest of the story. Good morning, Don. <laughs> Good morning, Bob. <coughs> well, every year, you go over on an annual trip with some friends. This time there was five of you in two different boats. And uh, you got your jumbo minnows from Limit Out, and away you went. And after you got that five-pounder in the morning, what happened from there? Well, we've, uh, we caught a, caught a few more fish on the, the rock pile that we were fishing there. And it was right on the uh, back end of... Uh, Rattlesnake Island there in Rattlesnake mm -hmm. Bay. Yeah. Um, we moved around a little bit there. Um, and then we took off, tried a different spot that we usually fish over toward Jago Bay there on the other side in the in the uh, lower part of the lake, kind of mid midway down the lower part of the lake there. 
Uh, and we ran into a pile of them. Uh, <laughs> well, you never know if you're going to find them. Uh, you know, we, we know we're going to find some, um, some years better than others. Uh, but, uh, we ran into a, a, an area that we've, we've fished often, uh, and sure enough, we found some fish there. We got them, uh, with the slip bobbers. We got them just dragging the shiners, uh, and we we were catching fish between five and six pounds uh, between the two boats. We had at least eight that were uh, about six pounds, and wow. the rest from two and a half pounds up. Nothing really smaller than that. Uh, and you miss a lot of fish with these jumbo shiners. I mean, most of the time you would think that with live bait, these bass are just going to eat it up and not even think about it, but... Even in the cold of the winter, they're very tentative when they pick up these baits. Um, on the slip bobbers, uh, one of the bigger ones that I caught, um, you know, you watch that bobber go down, and the the secret is not to set the hook. You reel into the fish. So when you feel pressure, you just start reeling. And as I was reeling, it, it came free, so I just stopped reeling, and the bobber came back up and sat there for a minute, and then went right back down again. So the fish was still there, uh, picked it back up, and I and I landed that fish. But um, that doesn't happen every time. Sometimes you pull the bait off when when it comes free like that. But uh, even, even at that, when we lost probably as many fish as we landed just about uh, on that trip, and, and between the two boats we had... Uh, 25 in one boat and 35 in the other. So that's about 60 bass. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, that That's a pretty good day uh, in anybody's books. Um, and and we, we drifted the same areas all the time. We didn't really split up. So we just moved from one spot to another. That, that spot was probably the best spot that we had all day. Uh, we went up and fished a couple of spots there uh, just below the Narrows. Uh, picked up a couple of fish there, uh, and we had to keep track of our shiners because even though we had we had six dozen shiners in each boat, and we went through every one of them. Um, <laughs> and then on on one side of the bait tank, we use our live wells, and on one side, we'll throw shiners in there that, uh, like if we're moving from spot to spot, we'll throw them on one side, and then we'll we'll reuse those if we start really getting skimpy on, on some of the fresher ones, but uh, uh-huh. it's amazing how fast you can go through them when you're, when you're on a pretty good bite. Cause like I said, you're missing fish and when you're missing fish, you're losing your bait. So you're, you're throwing back out there as quickly as you can. But uh, yeah, those trips are a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's great. You know, if you just want to go out and have fun and catch fish and not worry about technique, uh, even though there is a technique to what we're doing, but it's it's fun fishing anybody can do. Uh, and we're catching these fish in the top 12 feet of water, so we're not fishing super deep. Uh, Clear Lake is not a super deep lake to begin with, uh, so those fish, sometimes they'll move off a little deeper, but uh, sometimes they'll just stay up in that, that top end, uh, you know, even through the wintertime. But, yeah, uh, it, it, it's, it's hard to figure 
Uh, I mean, I guess the only way to really tell if it's happening is go out and try it both ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, some years we've cut them on the deep shoals, uh, but it's a lot more fun catching them on this on this shallow end because we can use the slip bobbers a lot, and that's a lot of fun for people to watch because uh, it gets kind of crazy because all of a sudden everybody's looking around trying to figure out where their bobber went, and it's two feet underwater. <laughs> but, uh, that's that's the fun part. It brings brings the kids back out inside of you. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Um. So you want that to, to set your slip bobber at a depth to be just like a foot off the bottom, if you can. And that's what we try to do. Yeah, that's what we try to do, and and you we adjust it back and forth. Uh, if you see that slip bobber laying on its side, then you know you're a little too deep. So we'll we'll adjust it back up, and we keep the split shot probably about uh, 18 inches away from the shiner, uh-huh. and and just cast it out there, and then at the same time, we'll get a... Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 